Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello and welcome to the Healthy Herb Podcast, a place of information and inspiration for the home herbalist. I'm Bridget Doherty of the Solidago School of Herbalism, coming to you from a bridged island on the coast of Maine. In today's show, I'm talking with Margaret Bird, an artist who incorporates plants and their unique colors into her creative process. Through this podcast, I want you to be empowered in seeking and achieving your own version of optimum health. I want you to be inspired to connect and relate to the common plants that grow all around you. Together, let's make home herbalism be as common in the everyday household as cooking a healthy meal. Now, without further ado, let's have some fun and dig in. Today, I'm joined by Margaret Bird. The breathtaking Pacific Northwest surrounding Seattle is where Margaret Bird calls home, but her artistic praxis spans the globe with a studio built on mobility and designed for her nomadic soul. Graduating from the University of Montana with a BFA in photography, she discovered her love of mixed media and installation along the way and continues to explore both art forms in her studio today. Wanderlust has kept Margaret traveling extensively where vast landscapes and naturally derived colors have inspired her artistic focus and visual aesthetic. Weaving her creativity into a daily practice, Margaret is currently working with organically dyed fibers and dreaming up her next site-specific installation project. Margaret's work has been selected for juried exhibitions in the Pacific Northwest, shown in gallery spaces in Mexico and California, and purchased for both public and private permanent collections. Returning to the lens in 2020 as a content creator, Margaret shares her creative journey on her YouTube channel called Margaret Bird Color Quest to build a community celebrating organic color through hands-on tutorials and vlog-style content in all about nature's palette. Hello, Margaret. Thank you for joining us today. Hello, and thank you for having me. So happy to be here. Oh, it's, it's wonderful to have you. So let's dig in. You are an artist who incorporates plants into your creative process. Have you always made art with plants? How did you get started on this? <laughs> so my, um, the, when I began to incorporate plants into my practice was when I returned to my practice after a, f- a few decades hiatus, actually, I 
wrote, you know, got married and raised a family and had a career and all of this other good stuff. But I came back to my art practice and something that had been so inspirational for me when I was in art school was that I was doing installation work, ephemeral installation. So I wanted to come back to that when I um, dove back in and decided that I wanted to be able to have a way to incorporate color into my ephemeral work. And one of my favorite mediums actually is ice, to work with ice. And so I wanted to be able to put ice into the environment and not worry about how the color might impact its surroundings. And so I started the research and investigation in what kinds of colors can I use that would be non-toxic and I would feel okay leaving behind within nature. And that's what started what has become this wild passion of mine in finding color in nature, basically. So that's how it all started. And that was 2017 is when I came back to my creative practice. So, and wow, it's been quite a journey since then. That is, that's really cool. So um, talk to me more about ephemeral art or ephemeral art installations. What does that mean? And why is that a passion of yours? So when I was in art school, I was studying photography at the time, but as I was going through the program, I became increasingly interested in sculpture, and I didn't really recognize that until my last year of art school, and decided that I wanted to build, but in non-traditional ways, and there was this idea that I had that I wanted to be able to embed some of my photographs that I was doing like put them onto linen or some kind of fiber and then embed them in something that I could place outside that could sort of disappear, you know, over time. It's just, I became interested in that. And so I had an installation that I did that did exactly that. And it was with ice. And the, the idea was that people would sort of stump, maybe stumble ac across it and it would, create some sort of curiosity or wonder in something, but it would be very much about the moment and this sort of space in which the viewer could stop and just wonder is how I sort of wanted it to be or was hoping that it would, uh, someone would experience and then move on and that it wouldn't be precious at all that it would simply be more about the viewer's experience of presence, of curiosity. What is that? Huh, how interesting. Why is that there? And then, you know, moving on. And that the piece itself would also have a very short time span, just sort of a happenstance. And with this notion of hoping that people would stop and be very present in the moment within their own wonder and curiosity. So that was kind of what drove me to do that. And um, and then I left, you know, graduated art school and went and did other things. And so that's what drew me back to when I started. I was um, in 2017, I was heading off to a trip to Iceland 
And I thought, wow, I really want to make some ice installation. And it, it sounds a little, you know, corny saying ice in Iceland. And that wasn't the point. But the idea was that I was going to be in these very, what I assumed to be very inspirational um, landscapes and that I wanted to have this interplay with the landscape um, and see what I, you know, could make within that space and knowing that it was going to be a cold environment that I could actually, in fact, make ice sculptures and then leave them there and just have this sort of, for myself, this sort of moment of wonder, presence, and being within a certain environment and experiencing that and then leaving that behind. So that was kind of the the drive for what, why I am interested in ephemeral artwork. Mm, I, I love that, the idea of this ephemeral art, because in, it seems to me what, what brings to mind is it reminds me of life too and like how life mm-hmm. is always changing and and ends and um and i'm wondering does the art like do you have a idea of how it's going to like melt or change as it does its thing or is it just kind of in the presence in the moment and then it takes on almost a life as it, of its own as it i would say it's it's more the second It's more around, I really don't know what the environment's going to do with this, what I consider to be a small gift or a token of something that, you know, I'm leaving for this space that has given me something. And so I really have no idea. And when I started or came back to it and started in Iceland, everything was ice. And then I started to expand on that. And you know, move to different parts of the world and have different environments. And then, you know, I sort of lived in this thought that, oh, if I'm in a warm climate, I can't do, you know, make ice as my medium. But then I challenged that and I started putting ice in hot climates and seeing what that is. And that was a very different experience, as you might imagine. I really had no idea what was going to happen. And then that became even more exciting and interesting. So when I placed in Iceland, there were a few times when I went back a few days later to look and see what the environment had, um, how it had interacted with the piece. Mm-hmm. And some instances it was still there, maybe it had fallen over. Other instances it was gone. I've had instances where animals have interacted with it and I've actually captured that. I've had, you know, because I'm using color that's coming from nature, my first, um, you know, path in, which is the most common thing is actually color that comes from food. So fruits and vegetables. And so you can imagine if you're using um, one of those, it can attract animals as well. So I remember doing an installation where I think it was actually, you know, it was hibiscus, I think, and which is not I mean, we use it as a tea and we use it as an herb. Um, And I remember catching all these birds coming in and just spending time with the piece. And I think as I began to move about and do more and more of these, and if you go to my website, you can see that there's, you know, many, many destinations of places where I decided to to do ephemeral installation. Um, I, you know, started to see that 
recording these was something that I wanted to do, recording the change, recording the experience. And that's partially what led me into working with video as well as capturing everything with photography. I had people saying, hey, I want to see one of those, but I I don't know when I'm going to see it. And I'm like, well, you know, I, I don't know either. Maybe you never will. And it doesn't really matter if you're lucky. Maybe you'll bump into it. But then I started taking photographs of it. So I sort of cheated the system a little bit and that I created these ephemeral works. And then I started photographing them and videoing them. And so I do have a living memory of some of these pieces that I've made, some of my favorite pieces. Mm -hmm. But that's, you know, that's, there is a commentary there for myself, you know, that I have to think about because I am building these for that moment for that presence. Um, but one of the ongoing um, conversations that I have within my community is around the living, breathing, changing, um, and celebration of all of those things. So connecting it back to what you mentioned about um, how it's, you know, mirrors life, because these are all aspects of life. I'm also exploring those ideas within that the work and ephemeral work has been a wonderful way for me to be able to um, touch those points. Mm. I just had this vision of, um, you know, when we talk about spring ephemeral plants, you know, these plants that just like appear and disappear really quickly. And it'd be cool to incorporate those into an art installation too. Like Absolutely. The, yeah. Like when I, yeah, when I did my first, I, I returned to Iceland many times. I, it is an, is a land that I absolutely adore. Um, when I went from my first residency there, I wanted to use plants from that space. So whereas in the beginning I was maybe, for example, using hibiscus, because it's such a vivid color, ephemeral, it like within, I mean, it's not a long lasting color, but when you're doing ephemeral work, it's a beautiful color because it's vivid and it's going to be short-lived regardless. So you don't think as much about some of the things that people within the, um, the fiber world think of where people are always like, how do I get it to stick? How do I get to stay? So for me, that was never an issue with ephemeral work. But when I went for this residency, I really wanted to start to explore the color of the land that was where I was. And that, so on that third or fourth trip, when I went, I looked at seaweed, for example, because I was trying to find, okay, what are the plants that are there in Iceland that are abundant enough that I can, without concern, sample from it? And so, for example, I went and I harvested seaweed from the sea and then made color from it. Or let's say, I like to say that color was shared with me from that seaweed. Mm. So it's similar to what you're saying about sort of, you know, these plants that maybe pop up for a short lived time. I did get extremely interested and continue to do so in looking at plants that are seasonal to, um, you know, a space, but also very much connected to an environment. And that has expanded my pers my sort of quest, if you will, to 
understand all of the different ways in which nature provides color. And it's so varied and so different depending upon where you are, the land and where it's growing, the time of year. And that's that's a beautiful, for me, that's a really beautiful notion as well. And it, I think, would connects in very much to, you know, how you may incorporate herbs into your daily living and how that's, you know, around um, what nature is providing at a particular time. I'm curious as to how you learned how to extract these pigments and colors. And is it different from plant to plant? Like, would it be different from, I can't even imagine how you would extract color from seaweed. (laughs) <laughs> you know, versus hibiscus, which, you know, hibiscus is like, oh, put it in water and it's like, bam, red. But right. So how has that process been for you? And has it been a big learning curve? Or- oh, yeah. Actually, this is exactly why I decided to start my YouTube channel. So 2017, I'm, I'm heading off to Iceland. I want to make these ice installations and I want to add color to them. So the first, you know, you just start doing your research, right? Googling. And there is a ton of information out there about ways in which certain things can bring color from nature. And the most obvious ones tend to be around things within the kitchen, you know, maybe coloring something that you're cooking or projects that you might want to do with your kids. I remember seeing a lot of things around um, like making um, homemade Play-Doh as an example, and then being able to make different colors and all of those colors are coming predominantly from food sources or herbs and plants. And that was all well and good. But then I really, it it is really something, if you talk to anyone within my community, it becomes like this wild curiosity. And so you go down this rabbit hole of, of, I wonder if I can make it that way and this way. And, you know, like, does that plant have that? And what you start to find out is that there's a lot of information out there and it's not all, you know, not all information is created equal. Let's just put it that way. So the 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 way in which certain plants produce color is or provide color is similar in that most need water and also, or that's the, the easiest way, and heat. So I would say a majority of the plants that I work with and and that have color, you're going to start with or investigate with using something on the stovetop where you're going to take the, the plant, the herb, you're going to cut it up in small pieces like you would with cooking really, and then put it on the stovetop and simmer it and see what comes from it. Um, that is, that's, what most of it is, it sounds so simple and it is, but then what you can do with that color is, and how you can capture that color on different surfaces is also where it changes. Now you do have some colors, you know, indigo is probably one of the, um, you know, the most sought after color out there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that you, that's not how you get, color from indigo. Indigo has a very complex, almost scientific way. If you look at it scientifically, I prefer not to. I prefer to learn 
traditional ways of how color was extracted prior to knowing the chemical compounds and why it's happening chemically. Um, But indigo is one where you have to do a series of things to it and put it into a very unique environment in order for color to come to you. So to to come to you in a state that's going to stay. And so that's a color that has nothing to do with putting it on a pot, putting it on the stove in a pot and heating it up. Hmm. Um, you can also extract lots of colors simply from putting them in a jar with water and putting it out in the sun. It's also obviously using heat as an extraction, but like you, I, I would imagine within your practice, your herbal practice, there are remedies and concoctions that you're making that involve something like that. I would assume, is that correct? <laughs> Yeah, well, for me, I often think of the sun as um, something that deteriorates oh, okay. um, the plant pretty quickly it, once once the plant is harvested. And and over time, like I would think of that it would deteriorate color too. Uh, maybe yes. it extracts it at first, but then like, like anything, mm-hmm. if you put something in the sun for a long time, it really can. Yeah, and this is actually starts to go down the path of of, you know, permanence and impermanence. So when people work with natural color in the fiber world, now I'm talking fiber, not ephemeral, um, although fiber is ephemeral, but, you know, just over a much longer period of time. What isn't um, ephemeral, I guess. Yeah, right, really exactly. You know <laughs> You're so right. Um, but people will begin to ask the question, you know, we have this, this caught this group of terms around fastness and that is around light fastness, color fastness, wash fastness, things like that become very um, important to a majority of people who work with natural color because people want things to last. And so light fastness or basically exposure to the sun does in fact change. And you could, you'd use the term deteriorate. Um, I would choose a different word for color to be that it, um, you know, it simply changes it. And I try to send that message within my community around celebrating every stage, every iteration. Isn't it cool that this color is going to be this color today and tomorrow it's going to be maybe something completely different. So we're going to have this beautiful, you know, array of colors that nature's giving to us. And so I try to look at it. I experience it that way. And I try to look at natural color that way. And so I welcome what the sun may provide. And the fact that the, the sun is an important element in providing heat, which is part of an extraction, a, a big extraction uh, component for so many plants. So it does, you know, it, it. what I like about it is that it does, you know, solar dying, let's just say for that, does provide an easy access point. I also very much um, uh, enjoy the idea that natural color is accessible to anyone and everyone. And, you know, people can become daunted by, oh my gosh, I have to have this and I have to do that. And it's so much work. 
And so when you can say, hey, this plant, grab a jar, put some water in the plant and stick it out in the sun for a week. And you're going to have, you know, put some fiber in and you're going to be able to have some beautifully naturally dyed um, fiber for whatever you may be using it for. It's kind of, I I really like that aspect of it. So (laughs) the, um, you know, the, the simplicity in something that can be become very complex (laughs) but that idea is that the sun actually can be your heat source for you know welcoming various colors into your natural dye practice so (laughs) well and i i like that about your youtube channel that i checked out um a little bit is that you really make it accessible for people you know and if they want to get involved it can be like um as simple as, you know, pounding, pounding plants to get their pigments out or so what are, you know, other than, um, you know, doing this ephemeral work, like what are other ways that you work with plants in your art and that you've really enjoyed and that you like to share with people? So from the ephemeral work, I stumbled into fiber as a, as a substrate from my own work, I was and continue to be interested in creating more two-dimensional, maybe what you call more traditional (laughs) artwork. Um, So I play around with painting and never really found my, I don't know, my juju in painting. I, I had these images of what I wanted to make and it never translated from mind to hand. And that as an artist, I think almost anyone can relate to, and it can be incredibly frustrating. So I decided that, you know, I'm making, I'm becoming more curious about color and I'd like to see how color is going to maybe interact with fiber of some kind, whether that be textile or paper And so on that first residency that I went to in Iceland, I decided to not only make ephemeral installation, I also started dyeing fiber. And from there, I was started making these collages with the fiber that I was using and or creating hand dyeing. And I had my first series that came out of that. It was my Icelandic series. And it was fiber that had been dyed with seaweed, lichen, kale, and cabbage. Kale and cabbage can both be grown in Iceland. So I was trying to stick with plants that could, that either came from Iceland or would be, you know, grown in Iceland. And um, that I was able to finally translate what was in my mind. I had been trying to paint with this fiber collage and it was like, wow, my God, I found my space. So from there, I have uh, created many, a few different series of fiber collage pieces that are, you know, on canvas and can be hung in a home. And again, like I say, a more traditional idea of, of an, a piece of art and have thoroughly enjoyed that. I've just recently um, been very much interested in wax, beeswax as a medium. And so I just started incorporating beeswax. So now I'm using 
beeswax within the fiber pieces that I'm building. And from that, I can also build sculptural pieces. So it's kind of leading me back into that sculptural piece. I have done a few larger scale installations using fiber since that sort of launching point, uh, which has been really fun, more, um, uh, what is it called? Um, that move. So they are interacting with their environment based upon the movement, uh, very light hanging pieces that sway in the wind. Or, you know, I, I did one in a, in a gallery and hadn't really paid attention, but every time somebody would walk by it, it would move. Mm -hmm. And so there was also this, again, a viewer interaction going on, you know, more of a, that was something that was always really fun for me. If I went into like a museum and I think why I got into installation work was that I really enjoyed going into a space, a gallery space or a museum space and being able to interact with the work. So walk through it, you know, if touching it would be fantastic. <laughs> I'm always like, sure, touch anything. Um, but that sort of more active participation between viewer and and the piece itself is been something as a viewer interests me and as an artist as well. So um, anyway, yeah, so I got into fiber work and that also is what pushed me into launching my YouTube channel. Mm. Uh, because when you start to work with fiber and natural color, information gets more and more random, <laughs> not maybe particularly accurate in terms of... Um, there isn't a consensus out there. There's a lot of misinformation out there. And when you are working with fiber and thinking about, okay, how can I make it so this color is going to stay on the fiber? It becomes a lot more complex. Mm -hmm. And so I decided, wow, wouldn't it be cool if there was a place where people could, could come in, um, be curious, interested in natural color, and then find different ways in which they could use it. And I felt as if the channel would be a good space as like almost like a library, like a natural colored library, and would try to give a lot of information around how you can use natural color and maybe more traditional fiber practices, which would involve things like knowing about mordants and modifiers and pH levels and all of this much more scary, complex stuff. Um, but that, you know, it's really different if you're looking to make Play-Doh for your kids versus whether you're looking to knit a sweater, um, how you're going to use color and what you're going to care about in terms of natural color. So that's what kind of like pushed me. I'm like, you know, there needs to be something that makes it accessible, but also gives you a lot of information if you want to dive down into it, you know, that you have a place that you can go to where you can learn about natural color, where to find it, how to use it, different ways to use it. So that's what started that whole two years so far. <laughs> um, but I love it. I absolutely love it. So. so this is the next phase of your, of your art journey is how you can teach people and share it with people. Um, yes, I have been a teacher in, in many different ways across my, you know, I'm in my 50s. So <laughs> across my, I don't know, 30 years of interacting with people, 
teaching has been something that has been a part of that. I was not a formal teacher, but, you know, just it, I can see my string of teaching. I did teach as an ESL teacher, as, you know, secondary English as a secondary language teacher. I was an art docent with all of my kids because we don't have art in our school systems and they relied on parents to provide that. And so I got heavily involved in creating a, a, an art docent program that was providing art for all the kids within our schools. Um, so I was teaching there. So, I mean, I have a lot of teaching kind of in me. My mom was mm-hmm. a teacher. I mean, so that aspect um, is very natural to me mm-hmm. and I enjoy sharing. I am very much a believer in the um, the importance of sharing and the abundance of sharing that, you know, what you give, you get back. And therefore I, you know, I don't believe in all these secret recipes and there's a lot of that. I don't know if that's the same in the herbal, uh, world, but in the natural color, natural dyeing world, there's a lot of like, Oh, this is a family secret, or we don't, we don't tell people how we made this color. And uh, you know, that's, the opposite of how I look at it. So I'm very much a, wow, look at this. I, this is what happened when I made this with this. Let's share. Let's talk about it. So is there, are there a lot of secret recipes in, in the herbal space? Um, I don't, I, it's, you know, the herbal space is so vast for me personally, my whole perspective and from the tradition I've I work from the wise woman tradition. It's all about herbal medicine is people's medicine. And the more that we can share, mm-hmm. the better off we all are. And it's open to everyone. And yeah, just the more that we can share information, the better off we are. And so that's kind of one of my main motivations behind this podcast is just sharing free information about herbs just to inspire. Mm-hmm. And then, um, to see what other people are doing and, to, and now starting interviews to invite other people to also share their experiences with the larger community. So I think that that's really important. I th- and that's what one reason why I really like zeroing in on single herbs and working with one herb at a time, because then you can really get to know that one herb. But when we start working with really intense formulas, or if we are reliant on uh, an authority figure or a quote unquote healer or a clinical herbalist or a Chinese doctor, however it goes to give us a formula of herbs that they have prepared specifically for us that we have to purchase that formula of herbs. That's where we can get more into people getting more protective about their formulations and their products because- Capitalism. Yeah, (laughs) Pretty much. Yeah. And then because then you're reliant and dependent on them to Mm -hmm. you can't create it for yourself anymore. You have to you're reliant on that person if it works for you. You know, now now you have to go get that formula from that person every time unless they're willing to give you the recipe. And again, lots of herbalists are willing to give recipes and share recipes and formulas. But um, yeah, it's it's a huge, a huge range. It's everything. And and everything between everything (laughs) in herbalism, (laughs) which is great. And that's why I love even, you know, herbs in art, because, you know, I think any way that we can work with the plants 
hands-on and relate to the plants in a variety of ways, we gain nourishment from that experience. That's a beautiful way of looking at it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that's been, you know, working uh, within the Plant Wonder Collective, which is how I came to, let's say, rub elbows with the slow living community and the work of the women that they are all women in the group, the collective that are using herbs in various ways and having incredible knowledge. Um, but that's, you know, I kind of came in on the sides there because of, you know, my interest in plants for color, but it's been really a, a beautiful journey to be another person within that group um, to be sort of looking at the all the various ways in which plants are just wildly important and diverse and just have so many applications within our lives. So it's it's been, you know, I I have I have this whole element of, you know, colors from herbs, let's say specifically herbs, you know, has been so inspiring and interesting for me. And um, anyway, so it's, it's been a great, it's been a great journey to come into uh, this space. So. Yeah. And it's cool that it's that through art and through the colors of plants that has brought you to, um, and maybe we'll continue to dive you deeper into the world of herbalism and plants as medicine as well. Um, so along those, so you mentioned the plant wonder collective, I don't want to just breeze over that. That's a, a organization or a collective of women. It's open to anyone, but right now it's all women that are on Instagram. It's via Instagram, right? Yes. That Mostly. is the platform. That's where they share. That's yep. the platform. Mm -hmm. Yep. And every month that's a new herb that is focused on or a single herb. And then everyone in the collective kind of shares, um, Information. information. Yeah. And it, it runs the gamut. So we have two days a month to the second Tuesday and the fourth Tuesday, I think it is, or maybe now I take that back. It's the first Tuesday and the third Tuesday of the month. Uh, within the group, we share something that is specific to that herb or plant of the month. And for example, this month uh, in November, we're celebrating or oregano. And so you will have within that group, I shared something about using it to, uh, to extract color through pounding. You know, that was another, you would ask, what are some other ways you can pound color out of many different leaves and herbs are great for that. And they make such beautiful prints. And that's another area that I've been become increasingly interested in is is actually looking at the shapes and and appreciating and then let's say inviting the leaf shapes into my art practice as well and that's very new for me it's something that i'm becoming more increasingly interested in but so for oregano this month i chose to do like a small leaf pounding project where i just pounded it onto to paper for gift cards but then you'll have another person within our community that will share a culinary recipe 
or we'll share um, an herbal remedy. And Harmony, who's the woman who sort of manages the the group, she does a great job of curating or or making sure that as a group we're trying to touch on all the different ways in which, and for instance, this month oregano can be incorporated. Some of which you would never, I mean, I would never think of. And so I've learned a lot about um, things that you can use, particularly like now there's a lot of illness. You know, we've had this last year, two years where we haven't been exposed to as much. And now suddenly it seems like everyone is sick. (laughs) And so it's been really interesting to see all the different ways in which these various herbs can be used for, for healing or for soothing or those kinds of things. And so that would be, there's always someone sharing about some kind of remedy, you know, for, for healing, soothing things for health purposes. So it's, it's a really, it's really cool to see all the different ways and the creativity around it as well. And so you can, you know, join in on Instagram if you join, you know, follow the Plant Wonder Collective, you'll have something every day being focused on oregano. But then on the Tuesdays, the two Tuesdays, it's like this barrage of information that we're all sharing, you know, with these different recipes and, and um, you know, ways. And then also just somebody usually does historical references or, you know, just educational references. So I've learned a lot about the plants and the herbs uh, from that as well, because someone will share about, you know, here's how in folklore, how it's been used, or here's how it's being used historically. And all of these things are super interesting. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it just makes you appreciate it that much more. Mm-hmm. And the the Plant Wonder Collective, they have a publication called the Botanical Anthology. It's an online publication that many members or contributors of the collective then contribute to the seasonal online publication. And is that something that you are involved in as well? Yes, I've been lucky enough to have contributed to each one of the anthologies that we've had to date. 2022 was the first year. Our first botanical anthology was for the summer and uh, celebrating summer herbs, summer plants. And it's always fun when Harmony brings us the list of the plants that are seasonal because then I get to go through and be like, okay, wow, I can make color from that one and that one and that one and that one. So I go through and I try to find the ones that are most inspiring and most of them can in some shape or form bring color. So um, I participated in the summer anthology. We just finished wrapping up the autumn anthology And then we're going to be working on releasing the winter anthology, which will be released, I think, December 5th um, is the release date. And I've participated in all of those. um, And and they're seasonal. So that's really fun, right? So, for example, I think in the first one, I looked at Blackberry. um, And what's beautiful about Blackberry is that you immediately think that you can get color from the fruit, which you can, but it's not, um, it's very fleeting. It will disappear. It's gorgeous though, but you can also 
welcome color from the brambles. Mm. And brambles, however, are have longevity involved in them. So the color that you can bring from the brambles is very different and the two look beautiful together. So you can look at the whole plant, the fruit and the leaf and stem and get two very different colors, beautifully harmonized colors together and you experience in them very differently. So that is a, you know, that was one of the plants that I worked on for the summer anthology. So I looked at dyeing different ribbons um, and they looked beautiful together, you know, with this really vivid, like purple, and then this beautiful, soft, neutral, sort of beige and, you know, golden colors that came from the bramble. And they looked incredible together. Uh, I looked at uh, the seeds of sunflower uh, for the autumn, and you can make beautiful dyes in the sort of I would say gray, but also these lovely, almost lavender colors. And so I looked at dyeing pom- wool pom-poms for those and then making like these garlands from them. So, and that was from the seeds of sunflowers. So those know. are two, e- so yeah, cool. those are two <laughs> examples. And I saw um, you had a, a YouTube video about the sunflower seeds. Yes, yeah. yes, I do. So you can actually see the 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 I think the anthologies are always available. Um the sunflower seed project that I did in the anthology was based upon a video that I produced on my YouTube channel that looked at the Hopi sunflower seed, the black sunflower seeds and that's really what I focused on. And um and the two different colors and interestingly enough, you can make that in you can invite that more purpley color in a in a solar environment as opposed to stovetop. So when you mm. make your dye from the traditional sort of heat extraction on the stove, your color tends to move more into the browns and grays. But when you put it in a jar in the sun for a few days, your color is more of this really lovely lavender color. So you can really get a diverse color palette from how you extract. Many colors are that way. Many plants will give color differently depending upon how you um, invite that color to come in terms of your extraction process. So I did look at that and there is a video on my YouTube channel specifically to that. And I try to incorporate, depending upon what I'm the plant I'm using, um, for this particular plant, I actually went to a, a local farm and cut some some sunflowers and was in the hunt for uh, Hopi. There was no Hopi, but I found another variety and, and the farm didn't know. They were like, I don't know. We just threw out a bunch of sunflower seeds. We're not sure what the what the this the particular variety is, but those also produce this beautiful color. So it wasn't specific to Hopi. I also had Hopi seeds, but so anyway, I mean, just even that, you know, looking at how the plant, depending upon where it comes from and and what variety is, it can and do, do very different things. So mm-hmm. that's so great. So listeners, if you're interested, check out the Botanical Anthology. The next one's coming out the beginning of December. But again, they are seasonal and always, even past publications, are available. So 
Um, and you can find that via the Plant Wonder Collective as well. You can that Instagram's probably the good place to just go to look for those and to find links from there. And so I guess um, one final question. I'm wondering, like, maybe if you could tell me mm, top three favorite plants to work with for dyeing. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, that's, you know, it's funny. I saw someone recently, a YouTuber, be asked their travel. And she always gets asked, what's your favorite country? And she's like, I can't answer that. She's like, it's too much. Like, yeah. um, same with herbalists. Oh, what are yeah, your favorite herbs? Like, it's like, um, <laughs> can I tell you a hundred? <laughs> yeah. So I guess what I would say to that, um, is that I, I love to forage. So there are really traditional dye plants. I mean, obviously they're plants and at some point somebody was foraging them, um, but that are sort of the known stars in, in, in natural color, like indigo, um, cochineal is not a plant, so I can't use that one. That's an, uh, that's an insect. Um, but matter, matter root, those, um, weld, there are some plants that are really like this, again, like I said, sort of the stars, they're really reliable, natural colors. They're really good with their fastness. They stick around. Um, those colors are great. And, and I do, use them and touch them within my, my YouTube community, but I love to forage. So some plants that have been amazing that I've been so surprised and some of these don't necessarily fall into the herbal space, but for example, aloe, well, aloe does, right? So aloe is used certainly medicinally. So aloe makes this incredible pink color from the stalks. And that was something that was like, wow, so amazing. And also aloe coming in an environment that is rich with plants, but we don't necessarily associate more deserty landscapes with being places that are maybe, or maybe this is my own false impression is that when we think of desert, we think of desolation, there's no plant life. Right. And that the fact that a plant that's coming from a more arid desert-like environment, like an aloe plant has this hidden color. When you lop off its, you know, its frond, it's, it looks, it's that beautiful green color, but then that green color turns to this really, really beautiful, deeper red color that you can then invite um, pinks into your dye palette and then you can shift it, which I also love is that so many colors, so many plants are pH sensitive. Mm -hmm. And this is a, this is a hidden tool within the natural tires uh, tool belt is that we can expand our palette by shifting the pH of things. So aloe can be shifted to this like coral color by playing around with the, the alkalinity of the the diet itself. So, I mean, that's just one that came to mind that I'm like, that was a surprising thing. And it's a foraging, for me, it's a foraging activity going to a place where there's aloe growing that I can then um, forage from. Um, the evergreen, every single piece of an evergreen, needles, branches, bark, seeds, 
will produce a color. And that is the other thing. Colors coming from places that you don't expect. Like you wouldn't think that you could get like a beautiful pink color from a cone, but you can. And so those are the kinds of, you know, things that, that I tend to be wowed by, let's say. So I, and I have from the herbals aspect, I've really enjoyed the um, making prints with herbs. Like that's such a cool thing because the different shapes of the herbs are so beautiful and so varied. And so that you can then enjoy color and a design with them is a, is a really cool combination. So like sage, sage is so pretty. Like it's such a pretty one for pounding. Um, Oregano was beautiful, so delicate and so tiny, but the most beautiful leaf shape I mean, really, really exquisite. And then when you're getting down and you're, you know, working at that sort of micro level or macro level, I'm not quite sure what what the right word is, but you're really looking at the plant in such a different way, you know? And I was, I, I made a video for that or reels on Instagram and pulling, just gently pulling the leaves off of the oregano stalk to be able to um, use them to welcome color. That was a so, yeah, I mean, those are all different kinds of plants that have wowed me. Seaweed, that one wowed me too. Uh, I could go on. Yeah. Actually, but there's one more I have to say, because I yeah. just was at a symposium for fungi. My mushrooms and lichen have hidden color. You can create the absolute rainbow from mm. the, from the, the world of fungi. So that is another one that's, Wow. I, and I believe that those are all, you know, there's a, a lot of mushrooms and lichens and things that are probably used more in the herbal remedy world as well, I'm assuming. Yeah, definitely mushrooms. And um, I have a favorite lichen, the Usnea lichen, old man's beard, which I know grows out in the Pacific Northwest too. Usnea makes a beautiful color. Mm. Usnea makes like this chartreuse green. And it's so easy. It, this is one that just you plop it into your dye pot and cook up. So yeah, it's, I just went, the symposium I went to was phenomenal and I was blown away by the colors. I'm going to be releasing a, a YouTube video. I think, I think on the day after Thanksgiving will be that day that it comes out. And it's all about the colors that we extracted from mushrooms and lichen in this week long symposium. It was phenomenal. So that was a real, that's a, a new one for me. I mean, I worked with lichen before, um, but wow, the color spectrum from the fungi world is, is unbelievable. Mm. And who knew? Who right. would know? <laughs> right? <laughs> it seems like, um, you know, working with plant dyes and colors is as vast as a field as herbalism itself is. Yeah. And that's, I can feel your excitement and passion <laughs> around it and wonder and awe and that you can probably keep learning and growing um, till the end of time with this, you know, yeah. with like exploring this um, realm of the plant world. And I art. never, ever worry or get concerned about content that can be shared 
for example, my YouTube channel, and I'm sure you're feeling the same way within your podcast because it's never ending. And every week I'm excited about something else and then something leads to something else. And, you know, I've never had a problem with coming up with what am I going to share this week in my, in my YouTube community, because it's so vast Mm -hmm. and yeah, it's just been, it's, yeah, it's, it's such an unexpected and beautiful thing that came into my life. And I, I'm wowed by it. (laughs) Well, that's wonderful. And thank you so much for sharing it with the world. So audience definitely check out the YouTube channel called color quest with Margaret bird. And Margaret, I want to thank you so much for joining us here on the Healthy Herb Podcast. Do you have um, any final thoughts you'd like to leave with the listeners before we part ways? Or Just thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. As you can tell, I love to talk about it. I love to share about it. And I'm so, I, I, I would just say that for your listeners, the next time you pick up an herb, to use it in some way that you've used it before, interested in it, check out if it has any color to share because it probably does. And maybe that'll start this little fire for you like it did for me. Um, And yet another way to bring the plant world into your daily life. Mm, That's beautiful. Thank you so much, Margaret. Um, And thank you, audience, for listening and tuning in once again to the Healthy Herb Podcast. I'm Bridget Doherty here with Margaret Bird. Until next week, be well, let intuition guide you, and have fun with herbs. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. 
Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.